Welcome to the Hanging Banners Podcast with your host, Tyler Witt. Jack Coachman. And here he is, having the time of his life. And Ryan Sartori. Maybe short, but he's thick. <laughs> that's, that's thick with two C's. Welcome back to Hanging Banners. This is episode five. My name is Ryan Sartori, and I'm joined, as always, by my best buds, Jack Coachman and Tyler Witt. Gentlemen, we're back for week four, uh, episode four, and... Uh, we got a whole month under our belts. Yeah, you know, they say it's good to bet on yourself. I actually just lost a bet. I said we'd die before October, but we made it. We're here. <laughs> well, I'm All happy the we hit the over on that bet. Yeah, yeah. And we're thriving, too. We are. I'm very Indeed we are. Indeed we are. We're switching things up a little bit today. Tyler, if you're okay with it, we're going to do count your wins and intercepted at the goal line before we talk about uh, NFL Week 4 and the conclusion of MLB's 2022 season. Is that cool with you? Sure, man. Thank you for not putting up a fight. I appreciate it. (laughs) I mean, I agree too, but that's fine. Well, it was your idea, so I figured you'd be all right with it. (laughs) Let's just – oh, we're all on the record that we're consenting to a new format. Everybody knows we're three for three. No one at home can complain then. Yeah, I consent. Tyler consents. Yeah, we watched we watched a video about consent before we all consented. We're good. We've our HR department is on the case. Um, So let us start with count your wins. And um, I will start, but I have a second one that's going to close the segment. But I'll start by saying I am no longer unemployed, and I it, it, it is incredible to get that off my chest. Awesome. Yeah. Finally, uh, finally found something. It's been a long summer. The trail of tears is over though. And I am, uh, headed North. Wow. To Rockford. No, no, no. A little out of radius. <laughs> so I'll be headed to Rockford here in the next uh, month or so. And I'll be starting at a uh, radio station where I'll be the co-host of a morning show on a, on a country station uh, with the opportunity to do a whole lot of stuff with sports as well. It's kind of a hybrid position, and I'm super excited to start at the Bull in Rockford with Midwest Family Broadcasting. Nice. Congratulations. We knew you were going to get there. It was just it was time was the only enemy, right? Exactly. Just waiting for it to happen. Exactly. So that's my win of the week. All right, Tyler, why don't you go next? Sounds good. Um, it's October. It's it's Halloween season. So now we can watch scary movies. I'm very much a person who um, really likes to wait for the actual month. I know in like early September, they put out Halloween decorations and it drives me crazy. But October is here. It's time for the spooky season. Now we can watch scary movies. And there are a bunch of great horror movies out right now in the theater and uh, available for streaming. So, uh, Hocus Pocus two just came out this past week. Um, mm-hmm. a, cla- a sequel to a classic, right? With we- Bette Midler and Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, reprising mm-hmm. their roles. Don't ask me the name of the third actress, but she's there too. <laughs> they are indeed all there. Um, there is a very quiet third Halloween movie getting released this weekend. Uh, Michael Myers, uh, of the new trilogy, that started in 2018. 
Um, very excited for that one. Um, there's also two other horror movies out right now called one being Barbarian, uh, a horror movie about an Airbnb. I've heard very great things about it. And then Smile, which a lot of people have seen on social media, uh, especially during baseball games because of their marketing plan which is have people or paid actors stand around and smile creepily in the camera for long periods of time. It's similar to 2016, right? Remember when they had the, the, the clowns Clowns, going around and everybody was concerned that clowns are going to take over the world. And I, at the time was, was too young to realize that it was a a very elaborate social media campaign. Uh, And I thought I was just going to run into random clowns all over the place, especially being from a, a a corn based town myself. (laughs) Face town. I want to. I want to know, Tyler. So, scary movies. You're a scary movie fan. In my mind, the first three like categories of scary movies that come to my head are monster movies, slasher movies, and thriller movies. If you could take only one of those three to watch this month, what would be your pick? Uh, definitely thrillers. Um, I like the slow burn, the the build up to it, where you know, you're, you, it keeps you engaged that way. You know, you keep like, Oh, well, what's going to happen? Like, is it that guy? Is it that guy? And then it really pays off in the end. So that's, those are kind of some scary, or scary movies that I like to watch. And there's plenty of them out right now. So that is my win for this week. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of the nuns, like the, and not nonsensical. I like the um, unrealistic horror movie. The one that doesn't make me think too much. Um <clears throat> I watched uh, a horror movie one time. It was called Gerald's Game, and it was uh, I think it was a Netflix original. But mm-hmm. the the premise of the story is a married couple goes to a cottage in the woods uh, to kind of revitalize their marriage, which was fizzling at the time. They go to have uh, freaky, sexy time, and the husband handcuffs the wife to the bed and then as he's getting ready to have freaky sexy time he has a heart attack and dies and the wife is handcuffed to the bed and they didn't close the door of the cabin when they went in and so she's there and it was one of those ones that made me think a lot like what happens if i accidentally left the door open and then i start you know, cycling down this hole as I'm laying in bed at night. So I don't like to watch those type of movies. I do though, like Michael Myers and uh, mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger and stuff like that, because it's at least to, uh, to as far as we know is not possible of happening. <laughs> no, I definitely, the, the slasher movies are classics. I mean, it's been, been a very important part of the genre since like horror movies became popular. So to, to not have them in the in the mix is is a shame. So very excited right. though for what good you what could I you could watch them up. for both of us, man. I I can't do the scary movies and stuff, but it's good that people can. I I did see what you were saying though. The barbarian. What was the other one? Isn't Don't Worry, Darling? Wasn't that supposed to be a thrillery type thing too? Yeah, that, it's not like a scary movie. It's more like suspense. No. Yeah, I think it's more suspense. But I also heard that it did not do well. Like it's yeah. pretty poor movie. So, but Smile and Barbarian both super high. Uh, you know, I've heard, heard some stuff on. Uh, people from TikTok, which I know is not a great source, but, you know, general public, um, I typically go on the Rotten Tomatoes audience scores and they both have stellar scores. So I'm very excited. Nice. All right. Well, I, uh, I my win this week is not quite as uh, 
timely. Uh, I, I had a pretty big bet that I won that was exciting. It's been a while since I crafted an elaborate bet with a betting partner of mine that we've worked together on these sort of things. Uh, it was a, a promotion of sorts on English Premier League. So I haven't watched a ton of soccer. I, I don't mind watching soccer every now and then, but part of it is just, yeah, you follow the promo, you make a bet with a friend, you see how it goes, and it uh, ended up going very well. And that was an exciting big win. And it forced me to watch a little bit of soccer here and there. And that's a sport that I've definitely warmed up to, I think, the most over the last, like, five to seven years of my life. That Before that, I'd be like, what am I going to watch soccer? It's so boring. But I, I actually find the game a lot more interesting now. It's just... Uh, I can't I can't commit myself to wake up at like 630 in the morning on a Saturday to watch two teams I don't really know enough about. So World Cup on the horizon. Champion League is rolling. Uh, those are the those are the soccer events I'll watch the most. But yeah, winning bets is always fun. That was something that I, I was going to bring up was the, the World Cup coming up. And I'm typically not a soccer guy at all. I don't watch uh, any soccer really, but when the world cup comes on, there's something so compelling about it. Um, the, the global connection that the game has is on full display. And I think that that's a lot of fun. Um, and something super specific to soccer. I love watching the world cup though. I don't watch much soccer outside of that. So I'm excited for that. And I also wanted to bring up uh, or at least touch on having a betting partner. Right. I think that's a that's a, a lane of sports gambling that uh, not a lot of people are aware of. Not a lot of people are aware that they can do that. So how does that work for for you and for your partner? What are what are your safe words? <laughs> uh, parlay, round robin, double down. No, no, no. Those, those are the opposite. Of safe words, my bad. Uh, no, it just it, when I say betting partner, I just mean, you know, I've got a lot of friends who who bet or who place bets, but I've got. Uh, one specifically who in the past we've worked together to like collaborate and do something that we'll both bet, especially if there's a promo or a boost and there's something that we can like both try and take advantage of. It just makes it a little bit easier, A, because you don't have to do all of the research and work on your own. So it's, a, okay, you look at the odds and the lines. I'll look at the scores and the results of the actual games. Uh, and then you mix in two. It's just more fun, especially when you're betting responsibly and not putting, you know, oodles and oodles of money on these things it just gives it that little bit of edge that okay if we have 10 soccer games that we need to worry about you know three down you get to send a text to your friend like all right we're doing good we calculated a hedge just in case because when you start working with big numbers like you don't want to sacrifice it all which may or may not come up later in this program uh but that uh that, that definitely i think is a fun way to do it is if you know someone else who bets just talk to them and say hey i think we should do this and then you win together you lose together Right. Well, and it's that camaraderie. But at the same time, too, I think that uh, you can you can certainly boost your unit price. Right. Uh, so you you definitely could. I mean, if you had somebody who you just collaborated with, like on a shared account, which is not super uncommon, uh, you could definitely do something like that. We just independently are using like if I put ten dollars on it, he's also putting ten dollars on it. So it's just more of a like, a you know, let's ride sort of play. But you, you definitely could if you know, one person has more time and effort to put in another person wants to like almost financially stake their decision-making. You could, you could do whatever when you're with friends and, and you've got some money, it doesn't matter betting or not. You find a way to make fun. Right. Right. 100%. Now I, I said that I wanted to bookend this, this segment uh, with a second count your win. Now the concept of this segment is like a best of the week thing. So like, yes, bring me like wins from the week, but also bring me uh just some of the best stuff that you saw this week. And this video that I'm about to show is the best thing I saw this week. So this is from a French 
morning show where they got people together who have very specific laughs. So I'll play that now. Vous êtes célibataire, c'est pas à cause de votre rire. J'espère pas. Non. I probably let that play for too long, but I was absolutely enamored with this video. I had to watch it a couple times. And if you were paying attention above their heads, there were pictures of what their laughs sounded like. And someone had a car. Another person had a seagull. Someone had a chicken. Oh, I was absolutely in tears over that video earlier this week. This is the, uh, I know we've already gone through it, so there's nothing we can do. This is like a big apology to audio-only listeners who just heard that. <laughs> but like also a, a really like, if you're listening audio-only, just take the time, skip through that part, go find it on the YouTube channel because it really, like watching these people. So the idea I saw was just a French show decided like, what if we get people with weird laughs? And there wasn't like a, we're going to interview them or whatever. It's just as soon as one person starts laughing, oh, this guy's got a weird laugh. You don't know that you're also the person with it. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. That's unbelievable. It's like a dinner for schmucks situation, right? <laughs> <laughs> just invite everybody and see what happens. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I again, I was enamored with that video. Again, yeah, Jack said it. If you're just listening, please go to YouTube and, and uh, go to about the 12 minute mark and uh, just watch. Watch yeah. and you'll laugh harder. Or if yeah, you didn't that, laugh, you'll you'll laugh. Then you could come back to the audio only. But that, that definitely is a multimedia experience that you need there. 100 <laughs> percent. OK, let's jump ahead to intercepted at the goal line. Um, Tyler, why don't you go first, brother? So this past weekend, the new season of SNL aired and like many seasons before it, it, it stinks. Um, but more so this year than, than past, um, they lost a lot of, you know, key members like Kate McKinnon was like a well-known actress, um, on SNL and she, uh, resigned from, you know, the role, uh, being on the cast. So there's really only Keenan left. Um, and even with the host power of, um, I mean, they had the musical guest Kendrick Lamar. So a lot of people tuned in for his performance, which was probably the only redeeming thing about it. But I mean, from the start, like it was, they, they tried to make fun of themselves in a way. So they had a Eli Manning and Peyton Manning, like Monday night football kind of deal where they were narrating over the first sketch of the season and the sketch was so bad just didn't make sense it was really like political and it did you know it, the acting was was terrible and it continued throughout the rest of the show and so that alone you know turns a lot of people off from a once great comedy show and come uh, just a day after it was released that there's allegations that they're stealing sketches from people on YouTube. So that's awesome. That'll really 
really put a damper on things, especially with a struggling show. So uh, it's pretty rough. I don't have high expectations. I will probably still watch some of the segments just because why I'm why well i'm a media guy i I, when i go on youtube it's just like on my feed so like if i see it and i it sounds interesting i'll give it a watch or if there's a host that i like you know i'll give it a watch even though the video ultimately lets me down but it's just one of those things what if it's good well, but here's the thing, too, is it's probably not going to be good. <laughs> no, 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 because I think everybody agrees this the SNL format is right. Right. Like we like the SNL format. We like sketch comedy. Everybody's liked it forever. <laughs> and the thing now is like so many people are doing it like, oh, if you don't want to watch SNL, just like go watch. You know, you could go watch on YouTube or go out somewhere else. But you don't. Right. Like that's the point is like, ah, don't watch SNL. Watch something else instead. But what's the alternative? So without there being a concrete one, like SNL is kind of still by default the leader. Well, and I would say in this space, right, the space of, of comedy, sketch comedy, comedy in general, right, there hasn't been a good, even if you think about in, in movies, right, there hasn't been a good comedy done in a long time. And I think it's because when you allow, um, when you allow networks and stuff to get their hands on it, when you allow um, uh, practices departments to get their hands on things and they're constantly putting in notes and they're constantly saying, you can't say this or joke about this or do this. Like it takes away from, from comedy in general. It used to be that SNL was the place to launch your career. We know countless names who started on SNL and now it's just kind of a place that like it's, 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 like a traditional media, right? It's like, um, I used to write for, I'm not doing a great job here, but I guess what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at is that it's not what it used to be. It just, it just isn't. And I think it's because of where we are, uh, societally, then you can go on YouTube. You can go on TikTok, You can go on so many different places. People have their own personal websites and podcasts where you can consume better sketch comedy or just comedy in general that goes a little bit more unchecked than it would on a network television. But that's exactly my point is like, you said the thing that I would expect someone to say is like, yeah, there are people on YouTube doing it. There are people on TikTok. who like, I'm sure if I dug deep enough, I could find it. But the point is like, what am I doing instead? It's this mystical other that we're trying to replace it with. Sure. And, and I think part of it too, is like, it's the same as a movie franchise or any sort of like genre thing. Like over time. Yeah. SNL in early two thousands, maybe was the gold standard. And now they're like, silver or bronze but like most of the world is still not on the podium um so i you know i i I wouldn't laugh at someone for enjoying snl even though the product is different than it once was right i would say the one thing um i would take away is that they still get really good talent because i think the perfect example of this is tim robinson and he started his own sketch show on netflix called i think you should leave and he just won an emmy for it it is brilliant it is so funny and it's it's the same kind of comedy. It's not super dirty. It's nothing like super political. It's just like almost dumb humor in a way, but it's, it kills. It is so funny and anyone can relate to it, but they wouldn't let him write sketches. So because it's it, again, it's, it's too edgy. It has to be, it has to fit a certain format for them. And that's fine. Like that's, that's just, that's just what that platform is. 
I would say that SNL is still a tremendous platform for a young writer and it is a good launching point for a young writer. But inevitably, if you want more for your career, if you want immense fame for your career, it's likely that you have to go to one of those others like Jack was. was You've got to kind of play the lottery then and just like hope that somebody sees you there. Right. Like you're talking about like Tim Robinson. You're talking about he's um, from SNL. Right, but he branched off and did his own thing, is what I'm saying. Like, oh, okay, yeah. and then and then at the same time too, you're talking about a writer like uh, Shane Gillis, who right now in the stand-up in the stand-up world, that dude is taking off and is headed towards like superstardom in comedy. But he was a writer for SNL, got fired. But I mean, still, you have to search for that mysterious other. It's not going to be you're not going to be Adam Sandler, you're not going to be Norm McDonald, you're not going to be those guys if you go to SNL. You have to find that mysterious other anyway intercepted at the goal line jack coachman go uh this might pit two of our co-hosts against each other a little bit there was a uh a thing going on saturday one thing was baseball one was college football and uh one decided to trample on the other one with uh live cut-ins of baseball taking place throughout college football just because when aaron judge was up to bat we wanted to see if he could get that extra home run to break a Roger Maris record, the kind of the record, if you don't count the steroid guys, but the non-steroid record, whatever baseball wants to classify. So diluted. It's so diluted. So so he's potentially going to break a kind of record. And they decided, you know what? I bet everybody watching sports on a Saturday would love to see these at bats. And part of this maybe is just because of the Yankees and their whole like, own broadcast network that we have to do these special arrangements i'm not sure all the finer points on why this happened but as somebody who doesn't care too much for either sport but can enjoy both in certain portions i I was very disappointed to see baseball keep coming in for what actually was never even the like home run hit which as of recording on tuesday october 4th we are still waiting for that record-breaking home run so we might not get it uh, and that that might also come up later in our program today if you keep listening uh, but that uh, that was my intercept at the goal line is baseball deciding, you know, we've got problems with being entertaining. What if we just hijacked college football broadcast? That surely would drive viewership. <laughs> in, in, in actuality, it probably it turns extremely frustrating. Yeah, but in actuality, it probably takes the college football fan that's avidly watching that sport. You get a baseball cut in and they probably get resentful to baseball. They're like, I'm never watching this again. And the network. They're probably like, please put us on a different channel next time. Where can I stream this? My, my thing was, is like they were doing it in the middle of a drive or like in the middle of the play. It would like immediately go split screen and like blow up the, the Yankee game. And I was like, during the middle of a play, like, let me at least finish the play before the you, you play is at bat. Like you have it on a delay already. Like, I don't know. I was extremely frustrated, especially Saturday. I had to go in to watch film and stuff. So we had to, you know, we would get like our little break and it would be up on the TV. And I was like, oh yeah, I get to watch like five minutes of Ole Miss Kentucky. And then I get Aaron Judge shoved on my throat. Yeah, not a great move by ESPN. <clears throat> not a great move by by MLB if they had their hands in it at all. I, I would definitely say that was a, a bad, bad move for what is it is technically a record. It would be right. an American League record for home runs in a season. That is true. It would not be setting the new single season home run record unless you are Roger Maris's son, who is uh, a babbling fool, in my opinion. <laughs> Although hats off and respect to the Maris name. Uh, he yeah, 
anyway, my intercepted at the goal line was a gigantic bet that most people uh, in the, the gambling world were following from Sunday night into Monday night football. A gentleman with a 15-leg parlay was 14 legs deep. He had picked Moneyline for every single Sunday winner and just needed the Rams to beat the 49ers on Monday night football. It was a $10 bet that would have cashed out 74,000 big ones. At the end of Sunday, he was offered a $23.1,000 buyout. He didn't take it. He did hedge $20 to win 15 on a free bet, but inevitably we all know what happened. Uh, He did not cash out and he ended up winning his $15. So he won, he won money. He won five bucks, but he left 73,000 or 74,000 on the table. Which, uh, okay. So in in 23,000 guaranteed. Right, right. The the cash out value on those is always going to be pretty bad. And like it, it's always a, if you have the funds when it gets too high, some people just don't, but to do like a truer hedge where you can guarantee much more, this guy did the minimum hedge where he could guarantee a profit. So like, okay, it's kind of funny. That's a good way to stick with your bet. And also at the same time, be like, ah, whatever. And that's a great mentality to have while the bet's alive. I'm sure this guy's kicking himself. Like, why not put a hundred dollars on the hedge or two? Like you didn't have to put 50,000 to you know cover that middle spot but uh that definitely is a hopefully a good lesson to people that you can still hedge a bet no matter what the amount is for like you can get some profit back so you don't just leave with a total loss and he also got what did he get the you said trip to vegas or he got some sort of like, yeah experience so thing. bleacher report betting had him out to vegas for monday night football and they chronicled his journey throughout the night uh which was uh capped off by a Matt Stafford pick six that pretty much, you know, put a dagger in the game, but they did give him and his buddies, uh, I think his girlfriend as well, an expenses paid trip to Vegas in January during the NFL playoffs. So depending on when that was offered, that may also have factored into like, how much am I going to hedge? Like, all right, there's a little bit of flashiness on like guy loses bet and then is covered up by, don't worry, we'll still take care of you. Yeah. So, I I mean, I'll ask you guys this question and then we'll move on to uh, some baseball and uh, football talk. But you're offered 23K on a $74,000 potential payout. Do you take the 23,000 and just turn and run or are you letting it ride? Because immediately I know that if at the end of Sunday I've got $23,000 staring me in the face, I am taking that money. I think it just depends on who I'm with, because if I'm by myself and I made this bet just on my own, then I'm like, okay, like I'll, I'll take the 23. But if I'm with my friends, I feel like it was like one of those things where they like look at you and you're like, but it's you're going to get peer p- pressured into losing possibly $23,000. <laughs> I was figuring it would be but the opposite, the ex- but it's for the experience. No it's like experience. <laughs> You gotta let it ride sometimes. No, 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 no. These are wrong answers. Again, there are there are different betting concepts. There's the hedge bet, which is betting against the thing that you need if you can guarantee yourself some sort of profit. Sure. So the the like actual probably correct answer is because the cash out value without doing the exact math, I'm imagining is not as good as if you would be able to find a true hedge. So what you do is you start calling people who you trust. And if you, I'm assuming that like, I would not have the funds to put like a $40,000 hedge bet. So I'm, I'm calling people and asking if they can help me out and then, you know, give them a piece or whatever uh, and their returns. You, you figure out a way that 
you actually can guarantee yourself more money than the 23,000. The other option is if you go for a bigger number, there's also a middle play, which is like a hedge where there's a cushy middle when you can win both bets. So I think the the solution is to make another bet, which sounds bad, but mathematically, like you're giving yourself more of an assurance. Like they want you to take the 23,000 because they're afraid a that you'll win or b that you'll place a hedge bet and make more than 23,000. So I think that's the the mathematically correct answer. I think Tyler, dude, I you're crazy for that. You, <laughs> I I think you you definitely See, pull the money out if you're with friends. He said, oh. if my boys say ride, we ride. I'm not a bet. I'm not a betting guy. I really, I actually like placed my first bet, like technically this, like a week ago, two weeks ago. And I, I hit and it was like a small little thing. So I'm not very experienced in it. So I, but I, the type of friends that I have, they would say, well, let's, let's let it ride. And I would breaking, say you each get $10 news. if you, you know, just shut up over there. Like I'll pay you $20 <laughs> to stay quiet. Let me take this 23 K. <laughs> Uh, breaking news, Tyler Witt is being investigated by the Canadian Football League for inside betting. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it was a college football game. I can, I think I'm okay. Uh, you're, you're, no, you're, you're more than fine. Uh, let's move on, though. The end of MLB's regular season is today. We're going to be releasing this on Wednesday. We're recording on Tuesday. So when you're listening to this, you are experiencing the final day of baseball's 2022 regular season, the season that almost never was. And what a historic season it was. Obviously last week we talked about Albert Pujols becoming the fourth player ever to reach 700 home runs. He now stands at 703 and just passed Babe Ruth for the second most RBI in a career. Um, We also have to remember that Miguel Cabrera reached 3,000 hits in April. Aaron Judge is having possibly the greatest statistical season an American League hitter has ever had. He currently leads in multiple categories. I think I count 10 altogether and trails Luis Arise of Minnesota by four points in batting average. He has to go three for or six for his next 10 in order to win a triple crown this year. There's Shohei Otani to talk about. It's just been an incredible, incredible season for baseball. Yeah. And this is like a, it's a competitive playoff field. We had, you know, some teams who haven't made the playoffs in a while, get in some teams who we thought might make the playoffs struggle down the stretch. Uh, a lot of teams actually kind of dropped the ball in these last couple of weeks. So no, I think if there was ever a season to draw people back in after what was both a tedious and uh, I, I want to say almost in your face off season leading into the year, like this was, this was the kind of season that you needed, especially with high profile teams still being successful, like the Yankees, the Dodgers, things like that. So uh, no, this is what they needed. I mean, it really was, I think, top to bottom, a very successful year. You had a bunch of national broadcasts that were awesome. I think about um, the all-star break this year and how phenomenal that was in terms of both the competition and the storylines during the all-star break, right? There were the rumors of Juan Soto possibly getting traded and he was competing in the home run derby and would he leave? Would he stay? And then we get the biggest trade possibly in major league baseball history. When Soto is dealt to the Padres, uh, uh, to a lesser extent, the minor leagues were unionized a couple of weeks ago. It's been a huge season for change. Uh, I think when you look at the wild card race this year, I think 
obviously the expanded field uh, was something that MLB wanted to do for, for, for money reasons. But also I think that it's provided us a ton of parity because when we look at it, we have some teams going in this year that typically wouldn't be there. IE uh, Seattle, who ends a 21 year playoff drought and Philly who ends a 11 year playoff drought. Uh, the two longest droughts in baseball have ended. Um, and I think that's in some part, because of the expanded playoff field this year, Philly's going in as the sixth seed. So, yeah, in some part. <clears throat> yeah, so, you have a, and you've got teams too. You've got like the Orioles were knocking on the door. That's another franchise that we haven't seen a whole lot out of lately, uh, even some sort of more one and done types. Like the, the White Sox had a good year or two in the last decade, but otherwise haven't been great. The Diamondbacks have had some very down years with a couple of decent ones sprinkled in. So keeping the competition going longer, like the, that's always the case for any sort of playoff expansion. And baseball has just needed to find that, you know, middle ground of we're not letting in too many people. Uh, and I think they found it. This feels like a right number. Yeah, I, I feel like there's 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 not a single team in the playoffs this year that shouldn't be there with the exclusion of maybe like your weak division winners, right? Like St. Louis and Cleveland are both the number three uh, division winner amongst the crew. And both of those teams feel not like super great playoff teams, but are there because they were good enough to win their divisions, both of which are, are not the greatest uh, divisions in baseball. But I mean, at the same time, too, we're going to get uh, some really great series during wildcard weekend. You look at San Diego versus the Mets. I really like the potential of Seattle and Toronto and what that se uh, series might look like over a three game set. And also maybe two of the smartest franchises in baseball, Tampa Bay and Cleveland get to go head to head. Uh, the pitching labs between those two organizations over the past 10 years have produced how many Cy Young winners, right? Yeah. Even if those aren't guys that stuck around on the team, right? Like True. The, you've seen some talent exported from those franchises, which also makes it kind of cool. Like you don't have to just get lucky and hit on some like Mike Trout level star. And it's just, all right, well, we've got this guy forever and ever. The Braves has some really long, long-term contracts with some of their younger players that Cleveland and Tampa have seen guys come and go, and they've been able to have success in multiple generations of play, which is it, that could also be a compelling storyline there. I do want to point out because I went down and we'll do some more like specific team talk um, during um, blank you very much, but I do want to point out because I did do the research uh, to kind of uh, a data points here uh, in regards to the American league, uh, MVP because there has been a lot of conversation. Should it be Aaron judge? Should it be Shohei Otani? Both players are having phenomenal years. I'll, I'll put it straight like that. I do want to point out though, that Aaron judge while leading in so many categories and threatening for the triple crown um, is having a year where he is uh, being put amongst very good company. So he has an OPS plus this year over 200 OPS is a statistic that we use where we add batting at or excuse me on base percentage and slugging together. And we get a number that's kind of a catalyst statistic for, for hitting. Um, it takes into account not only how often you get on base, but how often you hit for power. And so that kind of tells us what a hitter is. When we turn that into OPS plus it adjusts it for external factors like where you're playing and uh, the weather and who the pitcher is, et cetera. So the league average is 100. If you are above 100, you're doing well. If you're below 100, you could do better. 
Aaron Judge this year is an OPS plus of 212, meaning that he is 112% better than the average hitter in Major League Baseball this year. A, an OPS plus of 200 or higher has only happened uh, six times since 2000. Yeah, that, that, I mean, the, <laughs> there's a, I mean, the numbers, I'm just, I'm looking at some also. And, and when you get these, so we're also seeing in the modern era of baseball, we're able to quantify things in ways that weren't quantified before not because we couldn't so like these numbers they draw more interest even if they become a little bit more confusing uh so i I definitely when it comes to just talking about this stuff i don't mind leaning more towards narrative and both of these players judge and otani also have crazy narratives going for them uh the one with judge that i think is helping to carry it is the fact that otani won it last year and there's sort of that like you don't want the same person to keep winning it even if he's only won it once before there's also the big market bias of, you know, judges, somebody that we've, we get to follow more because he's on there. Um, but no, the, the fact that he not only could get the triple crown, but is also leading in so many other offensive categories on a team that was very close to being the number one team in baseball, or at least in the American League, they were a little bit closer there too. Um, it, it's hard to say no to judge, but it, with my uninformed opinion, I would. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely put my vote in for Judge. Uh, the other data point that I wanted to enter for Shohei Otani, because he is having a phenomenal year as well. He's the first player to do a ton of stuff, uh, but namely, he's the first player to have 30 home runs and 200 strikeouts in a season. The, 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 the previous record for a pitcher with 200 strikeouts in a season was seven home runs. Uh Yeah, he just absolutely shattered that one. He also is the first player ever with 30 home runs and 10 wins in a season. Uh, We've literally never seen anybody do anything like this ever before. And in some ways, it almost feels like it's become novelty. Yeah, like it's it's not that it's not unique. It's that there's always going to be an Otani stat. Like after every game he plays, he's going to do something that, and this is what I think also when you talk about, oh, Judge is chasing all these records. Like Otani literally breaks records weekly. But every they're not he like, plays. Yes. And so when you talk about, oh, but this is such a historic season from Judge, I'm like, sure. But we have somebody who without the game being redesigned is like, breaking the mold this isn't a oh you know steph curry's the greatest three-point shooter ever but we didn't even play with three-point shooting for a good chunk of basketball this is the game hasn't changed oh tani just figured out how to be good at both and now he's one of the best hitters and one of the best pitchers while also having some of the greatest like metrics like just pure speed you know strikeout rate win percentage like then you go on the plate and it, it just ah it, it's crazy to me how he does it all i think that's way too unique to name anybody else MVP because he literally does it all for your team. There are people who will say, oh, he's a modern day Babe Ruth, which I had to look into that and figure out if that was, you know, I feel like that's a generalization. So I looked into it. Babe Ruth was really only a two-way player for two seasons. He was primarily a pitcher in Boston and the final two years in Boston, he did, he did uh, hit as well as pitch. And then when he was traded to the Yankees, he was known only as a slugger. He pitched in five games for the Yankees. Uh, but the two years where he was actually a, a full-time two-way players, uh, yes, it was impressive. But Shohei Otani blows him out of the water in almost every category except batting average and on-base percentage. 
Like, okay, so so pitching uh, in 291 innings for Shohei Otani, he has struck out 369 batters. Oh my god! In two years, that's in two years. That's in yeah. 21 and 22. Babe Ruth in 299 and two thirds innings from 1918 to 1919 struck out 70 batters. I mean, it's it just like. I, I, what I, what I don't like is I think that it's not that we've rewarded Shohei Otani for years and years, right? Like we shouldn't have the LeBron James, the Tom Brady fatigue of like, even if they're always the MVP, we can't always make them the MVP. He has one MVP. He's won it once. He won it last year. That's it. And that was so his we- first full season in baseball. His first two were marred by injury, then 2020. And then 2021, he was fully healthy and absolutely took the league by storm. And now somehow he is novelty. Like we're still talking about how Mike Trout might be the greatest baseball player of all time. And that discussion can be canned for another time. But the idea that somebody joined Mike Trout, greatest baseball player alive, greatest baseball player of all time. They joined his team and just outperformed him as like a value asset. How how is that? Uh, it, just, it frustrates me so much to think yeah. like you look at the Angels versus the Yankees as a franchise. How much money do the Yankees put into building their teams and how much is Aaron Judge affected by in general, just like a stronger team than Otani has? And I'm and like East Coast I, bias, too, right? Right. Yankees yeah. bias, East Coast bias, TV bias, whatever it is. It's like. Uh, I, I, and I'm not informed enough about all the advanced stats, but I haven't seen enough tweets and, and data reports or whatever to suggest that Judge is a landslide ahead of Otani. It, it's just this phony narrative of like, but he's been, he has a historic year. Like pff, this guy has like 10 historic years in one year. <laughs> Either player could win AL MVP this year and I would be completely fine with it. I would probably put my vote in on Judge, even though I'm making such an extreme case for Shohei Otani here. It's just what I would do. One more data point. We'll move on to the NFL. 1918-1919 for Babe Ruth in those two two seasons. 123 extra base hits and 40 home runs. Shohei Otani in 2021 and 2022. 150 extra base hits and 80 home runs. Almost doubling the home run production of Babe Ruth. One of the greatest sluggers of all time. Uh, so that's Shohei Otani. Please quit commoditizing him. Please quit novelizing him. Novel. Help me, no, Jack. Not novelizing. I don't think novelizing. I, I don't think there's a making him a novelty. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and with that, we move on to NFL week four. Thank you for listening to my passionate speech about Shohei Otani. Gentlemen, I want to start with uh, Denver and Los Angeles or uh, Las Vegas. We are going to get to Tua Tunga Vailoa in this in this segment as well. Um, but I think we can officially toss the Broncos in the bad pile. Yeah. I think it's safe to say at this point, after the performance they had against a struggling Raiders team that, I mean, it's time to go. And honestly, the, I mean, the injury to the running back Williams really is a, is a crusher for them because they, they had a very productive back in him. They had, you know, Russell Wilson at the helm. And with just those two things, I mean, you, you can make some things shake and leak, but you know, you, you lose a piece of that and now you maybe have to become more one dimensional. And especially with a, a coaching staff that's new and still learning and struggling as we have pointed out, um, you know, I think, I think it's just safe to say that they're going to be rough the rest of the season. 
I'm not willing to commit to this yet. I, I, I feel like, okay, so one and three, yes, they've looked bad. They've played bad. I just launched my phone away. So I, I don't have the numbers right there, but what I do know is that they've got a soft schedule coming up. I know that they play the Colts, on Thursday this week. Then they have the Chargers could be a tough one, but they've got the Jets. They've got the Jaguars. They've got some easy teams. And I'm not saying that beating other bad teams makes them good, but it gives you an opportunity to course correct because it's not a, when will Javante Williams come back? He's done for the year. You've got to deal with that now. They have Melvin Gordon. They used Mike Boone on Sunday. They uh, signed Latavius Murray off the Saints practice squad. So they've got some players that they're able to maybe fill that role with. And we're still seeing Russ playing with a new team. Like we know Cortland Sutton's good. We know Jerry Judy's good. Judy's coming off an injury. So I think the offense could still click. And their record could be totally different if it weren't for a couple of coaching snags, which have been, I mean, Hackett's gone through the ringer as far as what the media thinks of him, what the general population thinks. If he can just go back to league average, if he can just move a little bit upwards in the coaching category and this offense finds some chemistry, I don't think we're going to see them as a bad team, even if they're not this like potential Super Bowl contender that we originally thought. So I'm going to say they're, they're, uh, they're in hot water, but I, I don't think I could say they're bad yet. I'm not feeling it. I, I'm almost ready to do that because I'm not confident in the Raiders this year, right? And they made Josh Jacobs look like a certified stud with 144 on the ground. I, I think th- uh, that, that Carr still struggled uh, to, to, to pass the ball, though he really formed a connection with Adams during the game with him being covered by Sertan. I thought that was interesting. Uh, but still, the, the defense hasn't looked amazing for the Broncos. The offense certainly hasn't looked great. The coaching has looked shaky. I think that this is going to end up being a write-off year for them though we still have a ton of football left and they could like you said jack course correct during the 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 middle parts of this season when they have an easier schedule but i'm just i don't think that they're a a well-coached team i don't think that they have a ton of guys bought into whatever culture there might be there and i think that that might be the issue maybe there isn't a ton of culture nate hackett doesn't seem like a guy who comes with very strong beliefs or or uh, is the the type of guy that can come in and um, change the way a room of men think and and um, and create a culture there maybe that's my just my uh, opinion on him because of the the indecision that you see on the sideline right like uh, he's almost like a prey instead of a hunter uh, type situation but like that's just the general vibe that I get from the guy. Yeah, I'm I'm looking. They're still graded pretty well in like the trenches sort of area, right? Like they they do have what's considered one of the top pass blocking groups through four games this year, and their pass rush has been strong. It, it really, one of their weakest points has been their actual pass game, and part of that is just depth of target from Russ. Part of that is maybe just his comfort, but. I know that Hackett's been bad. I almost put this more on Russ. Like if he can't turn it around, then they're done. I think if he can turn it around, they could even survive the Nathaniel Hackett screw-ups. I would just like to say, I mean, the, the coaching is like a huge issue. And Ryan, you touched on it where the culture in the locker room is something that, you know, maybe that's what they're not bought into Nathaniel Hackett. And if you look back on like recent coaching hires and these so-called gurus, like a Sean McVay, a young and energetic guy, like a Cliff Kingsbury, another young and energetic guy, you know, you can be young and energetic, but they still command that respect of the locker room. You know what I mean? Versus, you know, Nathaniel Hackett, like you said, he on the sideline, he looks like prey. 
And you could almost say like, you could almost assume that, you know, he, he went in there and he, he may have the, the knowledge to, to be a head coach, but does he have that, you know, can you be an authoritarian figure to these guys who are professionals? And it's, it's a very serious issue because, you know, these guys are the best in the world. I mean, Russell Wilson, we've, we've said it a bunch of times is the top five quarterback in the league. He's got weapons around him. Jerry Judy is one of the top receivers in the league. Cortland Sutton's another one. And then, I mean, his O line is performing well. So, with with those tools, perfect. I mean, pros are pros. These are the best of the best. So they can go out and do that. It's the scheme and the coaching that they receive that kind of hurts that. I've also thought this year. I had the thought this past weekend that it's. I think possible that the NFL has kind of reached this um, th- this breaking point where maybe football has become too complicated. Maybe football has reached this point where everybody's trying to break the mold. Everybody's trying to get better. Everybody's trying to uh, make the next thing or be the next guru or whatever. That maybe part of the reason here in the first four weeks of this season that we're seeing so many teams not be able to separate or or look like the be-all, end-all is because football's reached this um, – this overload point, right? This breaking point where it's become too, too much. I like the spirit of what you're saying, and I'm going to twist it into something different. I think it's not that we're, you know, like trying to just find the new thing and it's not there. And it's like almost the game has caught back up with the teams. I think it's like, I think it's a very self-regulating league. I think you see people go up and go down over time. We haven't really had, too many outside of the one or two main ones. There haven't been so many dynastic teams. Uh, It's more based on quarterback, potentially quarterback and coach, but especially in recent years, we've had more variance in who's succeeding, who's not the coaching moves are going quicker quarterbacks moving quicker. But I think part of it is that more teams are playing the game that was figured out a couple years ago. Like the running quarterback is something that was maybe going to be kind of broken when we saw Lamar Jackson win MVP. And now you've got a lot of teams who are looking at, can my quarterback run, not just be mobile. Can they run? And so you look around at who's doing well, the bills, Josh Allen, three and one, Josh Allen can run the Eagles four and oh, Jalen hurts can run the giants three and one Daniel Jones can run. Like, even if those aren't your top three quarterbacks in the NFL, they're running quarterbacks. And if you take coaches who can capture what needs to be done in that sense, definitely scheming individuality, unpredictability, all those things are very important for a team to have, but there's a little bit of the trend setting what works right now. And how can I get my team to do that? And I think more teams have figured out some of those things that they're all succeeding at a similar level. It's, it's known like growing up, you hear it's a football is a copycat league. It's just a copycat sport. You know, think about all the ebbs and flows of changing the game, you know, before it was, you know, let's, let's run the wing T and not pass ever. And now it's, it got to a point where it's like all passing. And now it's like, you're trying to even it out. Like, like Jack was saying, it's a self-regulating thing, but now like people are starting to realize this stuff and, you know, it's just like looking around the league and watching like when, when coaches are in the offices, they're watching like all the games they're watching for, for plays they're watching for their personnel. And then if they like something, then they just throw it in their offense for the week. So it's, it's a very, 
very copycat league. And I, I understand where Jack is coming from. And I agree with him. Something to monitor, I guess, moving forward is just, um, which, I guess, which of these teams start to separate themselves? Is there a common theme with the way that their offenses are run? Is there a common theme with their personnel? Something to monitor as we move ahead into week five and weeks beyond that as well. Um, I do want to jump to probably uh, the most important game of the week, and it wasn't because of um, a score. It wasn't because of fantasy points. It wasn't because of anything other than mismanagement of a player we're, we're uh, rewinding now gentlemen back to thursday night miami at cincinnati cincinnati wearing their zebra cake uniforms um but the the issue in this game clearly is to a tongue of Iloa and the handling of his um uh, of of what we presume to be his uh, multiple concussions right we don't know anything for sure we can't say anything with definitive proof or evidence there is an investigation going on right now into the handling of Tua and the the possible multiple concussions that he got over the span of five days again we don't know any of this for certain but we are kind of basing this off of the eye test um i say this in the in the uh and, and not a leading way, but Tyler, you are are somebody who has had a close encounter with uh, concussions and with uh, with the, the the protocols and things that are put in place at the upper levels of football. And and what can you say about this situation um, and the way it was handled? I mean, there's just several big things. Um, you know, when the first hit. The, the week before this week, right? The Sunday of the Sunday of week three, when he went down and hit his head against the bills and he, he stood up and he was walking around like wobbly that there is no injury on the planet that makes you do something like that. That's not a brain injury. And it doesn't take a genius to figure that out, but the, the dolphins went ahead and blatantly just said, no, it was his ankle and his back. Well, I've hurt my back before in just lifting strain, like, and you don't want to move when it's your back or your ankle, you like favor your other ankle. So why did he get up and he need three people to like figure out where he was and help him get off the, like the field that, that starting from that point, it just doesn't make sense. Like why, I mean, let alone go back into that game, like if someone exhibits something like that, you're like, okay, man, like, let's take a break. Like it's a serious thing. Brain. You, you only get one brain is what we're always told. So you, you don't want to ruin the one you have. So you, you need that time to let the swelling go down. If, if it is a brain issue, but then, you know, four days later on a short week, they have them go back out there. And I don't even think that the hit was hard on him. I don't think it was malicious. I think it was just, what happens when you play football? Well, you yeah, you have a, four, a 340 pound man slam you to the ground when your brain's already kind of been jostled. Right. But then he lays there and he has a neurological reaction to, to where his hands like curl up. The, the fencing he, posture. Yes. And I mean, by that point, it's too late. Like he shouldn't have never even been in consideration for the game. Right. And, and your giggles come, I, I would assume, is, is kind of a, a reaction to uh, how ridiculous it is that he was even in the game. Yeah. I mean, personally, just just playing myself like I mean, there's there's definitely some times where you're like, 
okay, like I got hit hard, but there's a difference between, okay, like getting your bell rung a little bit and like that, like going full on like wet noodle, like trying to walk like that. That just, that should have been a warning sign in itself. Yeah. And I will say going back to that week three on Sunday, uh, there, there was a, a report that came out when Tua did leave the game to get evaluated for what was presumed to be a head injury. The Dolphins did initially list him questionable to return with a head injury, but then when he returned, it was, it was deemed a back and an ankle injury. So they kind of went back on, on their word. And I think a lot of people were hoping that they, that, that us and the media would, would not, see that or remember that but um jack i want to get you in on this too uh and, and your thoughts on it because we've had conversations about this already i just uh, to hear your side of things yeah so i mean i don't have a, a really any like on-field experience or anything i can say though that i have had back problems for a long time and i have had moments where like i stand up and i walk and i just like have collapsed that was a, like absolute sure. low point for me so at least that like in my mind it was one yes did that look like it should be a head injury yes is it probably a head injury yes but i'm like when they said back i'm like i've literally had that moment where like i'm up one moment and then i simply like can't stand and it was lower back so i don't know that that's exactly relatable but what what was clear is there was some sort of error somewhere we didn't know if it was a an error on an individual or a group of individuals or if it was a protocol error and we might never actually know that uh what we what we do know now is that the nfl pa investigation did find that the independent neurologist on site for that week three sunday game uh, did not follow all of the proper protocols. We don't know to what extent that means or how many you know failures there were, uh, but that independent neurologist is fired. Uh, and, and I think obviously players' health is the first and foremost problem. Is well, problem maybe a mischaracterization, but the problem is keeping players healthy. And it, it's the same mentality that comes up with any body part, except for that this one is a little bit less healable. Uh, there are lasting effects, and we're learning more about concussions and what they do for the rest of your life post football. And so it makes sense for players and coaches and doctors to be protective of that. Uh, And unfortunately not to distract from the problem. I I think the public nature of this was a little problematic as well. That was one of my biggest issues with the whole ordeal was everybody. As soon as that injury happens on uh, Thursday, on Thursday night, when the Dolphins are playing the Bengals and he has to get stretchered away and he's taken to the hospital and immediately it's, I see all these takes of all the coaches involved should be fired. All the medical staff should be fired. Like obvious blatant disregard. I, I saw the stat of, you know, multiple concussions in a five day span can be however X times is damaging. And I'm like, I, none of these things are tangible enough or groundbreaking enough for me for the pitchforks and the torches to come out during an ongoing investigation. And while we're still figuring things out, uh, there was one high profile neuro neurologist, neuroscientist, somebody on on Twitter who uh, was cited by a lot of sports media outlets because he was somebody that um, had mentioned the risk of if to a played and if something happened and it, it, I understand. I I don't think this guy was poorly intentioned, but this one particular individual kind of did a little bit of victory lapping. Like this is what I thought could happen. And like, I hate to be right, but I'm like, nobody, you know, saying you hate to be right multiple times make me think you're, you're kind of happy to be right. And it's this idea that I think people buy in so much about wanting to be right that like we've distracted from the fact that it doesn't have to be everything. 
right? Like the chances of this being that, you know, some combination of Mike McDaniel, head coach of the Dolphins, the team doctors, the independent neurologist at each game, the Cincinnati hospital he was taking to, like the NFL. But there's no way all these people are in cahoots to try and just like tank to uh, specifically or cover up this one thing. It's very likely that one person messed up and that caused a series of reactions, which could be this doctor from Sunday that was on the sideline. Um, but like, I, again, and I don't know the process. So Tyler, if you could speak to this at all, that would definitely help enlighten me is when you are injured in any way, specifically like concussions, I know they go back and watch the video. So what, what do you think the, what would your expectation be of the dolphins medical staff Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, as it pertains to this case? Um, I mean, well, typically at a game, there's a spotter. So they can see hits and they can call you out for, you know, make sure you're okay to evaluate you. Typically it doesn't go very far because if, you know, sometimes you just get, you know, you just get hit a little hard and, you know, it rings your bell a little bit. But then there's, you know, when something is wrong on the sideline, then you, we all have to take, uh, it's called an impact test. And it's basically a, cognitive test so that you can see like, okay, well, he's perfectly healthy right now. This is the score he got. This is his, and most of it's based on reaction time and memory. So you you take your base results of that. And then, you know, when say you are exposed to like, or you have had a, a tough hit and they want to test to make sure you don't have a concussion, they put you up against the test and then compare your, your scores. So if you do considerably worse, obviously you're concussed. I'm not exactly sure. Like what, like if you get the exact same score, if you score, you know, within so many points, I don't know how that works because I've been fortunate enough not to have a concussion, but um, you know, I know it, it, it is a process. And if you don't meet that requirement, at least at the collegiate level, you, you don't get to, you know, return to play until you you've reached a score that is equivalent to your old one. So you you repeat this test. Like, so I'm picturing Monday, whatever the doctors have had time to look at this video and maybe go like, okay, till we want you to like concussion test again, it would, it would be in theory, the same, same thing that you would expect on the sideline during the game. You do it Monday. If the player fails, you do it Tuesday. Like you keep testing periodically, right? Yes. It is a, now and now there are ways that people like try to get around it where it's like okay well test today oh it didn't work okay well maybe wait a couple of days well maybe you don't wait a couple of days maybe you do it the very next day and it works out better or maybe you know maybe you are feeling okay but maybe you just slept not long enough and you you're tired when you try to do it so you're a little off but um yeah, it's a very, it's pretty cut and dry. Like it's, it's data. So if, if you get the result that says that you are not concussed, then you are good to go. If you do get a result that says, Hey, you're concussed, then you have to wait. So then, so then walk me through what, what you think, just in your, your experiences in, in a locker room, in a medical room, whatever, when you, you get the report that Tua goes into the locker room on Sunday of week three against the Bills with what they thought was a head injury and then reemerges with uh, what they later call a back injury, what do you think in that situation happened? 
I, I don't think it's as much on the coaching staff as people made it out to be. I think it, I mean, as I, player, I agree. I think as a player, you know, there's that, I'm, I'm going to be a tough guy and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to gut it out. So there's that part of it. I do think it's pretty negligent of the doctors and the people who were there to check them because you can typically see in someone's face when they're not right. And I mean, I've, I've seen people concussed and they like, they have big eyes. They're sensitive to the light. You know, they, they really are acting different and their play changes. And a lot of stuff changes. If you notice, like if you pay attention and notice it, it, it's very apparent. So I think that it was really the doctors that kind of failed. Like it's really a, a, a system that they have in place to, okay, we're going to evaluate you. And then, okay, well, you know, you might be concussed, take the test. And, and it's not like a super long test. So I don't understand, um, you know, there's like a sideline version that you can do like in the locker room or on the sideline to, to kind of check. So I don't see like, okay, well, maybe if he's borderline, like you just, you let him go back in, but then you sit down and make him take the, the whole physical test and the, like that next week. So I just feel like this whole thing could have been avoided, but it, mm. I think the, the doctors really just failed. Like there was so right. much breakdown. There. It, it's, it's tough to say, like, I, I agree, you know, nobody wants this to happen again. Nobody wanted this to happen. But as far as the avoidability, like we've heard the phrase like normal to be used in media and McDaniels used it. Like, like you said, some of the indicators are like you can tell when somebody is concussed and this is like a sideline full of people. And, and that wasn't the impression on Sunday, even though it was on Thursday, uh, like Thursday, it was made clear by McDaniels comments like that was not somebody I was familiar with. Like that was a different Tua. that like that indicator was present or even like going back to, you know, the vilification of McDaniel in this situation. He, he had an interesting statement on, I think it was Friday where he basically said, I kind of have to do what I'm told in these situations, right? Like people, why would you have started two on Thursday? If you knew this could happen? He's like, but how could you know this would happen? Like if all of your team doctors tell you this person is medically cleared, he's like, it's so distrustful of me to come back and be like, you know what? I don't think he's well enough though. Like that's not his job. That's the, the doctor's job. Once he's medically cleared, that should just be a, all right, I'm playing you. He shouldn't be like the next level, you know, chief of doctors ahead of everyone. So it's tough to say we want this to be avoided, but a lot of the checks in place were gone through and we're just learning the accuracy of them. Right? Like, it feels like it, it, it feels like we were taking a lot of steps forward towards um not solving concussions in the nfl but certainly taking precautionary steps forward right yeah i don't think you're ever going to solve concussions in the nfl it's just it's not possible this felt like a gigantic step backwards uh and some people that i talked to called it walking backwards and stepping off a cliff i i i don't know that it's that significantly bad that it's jumping off a cliff too while going backwards but uh it certainly is a step backwards i I think that when you when you talk about putting in medical professionals and 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 weighing their opinions uh, versus the the opinions of a football coach, I think that's putting in a, a government in in some sense, right? Like a, a governing body. And the whole reason that we have governments is to protect people, right? Uh, at, the, at the core of it, I think that it's it's governments are to protect people. And when a government fails its people and fails to protect its people, like it did with Tua, it, 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 it's cause and it, it, 
it's cause for some sort of, uh, of, of, of replacement. It's cause for some sort of radical changes. Uh, it's, it's certainly cause for some deep investigation into what exactly happened, which is what we're getting. I am satisfied so far with what the NFL has done. Uh, but a lot of times I think coaches become mouthpieces of the front office. Right. And in this situation, I don't think that it was the front office of the, of the dolphins. I don't think that it was Mike McDaniel. I think that it was, purely the medical staff. Um, uh, I don't think that there was any colluding behind the scenes. Like we have to play this guy realistically thinking, because why would an NFL team that specifically did so much to tank for this guy, we're paying coaches in order to get draft position to take this one guy. Why would they then turn around and say, play this guy through concussion? It doesn't matter how big the game is or how small the game is. We have to play this guy. I think it was a gigantic lapse uh, in in judgment by a medical professional that led to this conversation that we're having now. Which creates the almost tough pill to swallow of, it might not have been a step backwards. Like it's possible that if this were a hundred step process from Sunday to Thursday, that 98 of the hundred steps were followed and the one or two that weren't were just critical oversights by, I mean, doctors mess up in hospitals, doctors mess up in private practices. Like it's not just in sports. It's possible that this was like sort of a, a freak injury or a freak situation, because I think it's reassuring to know that we have so many checks in place. Like the fact that we can discuss where did it go wrong? We can figure out where in this process did we go wrong is already way ahead of before when we didn't even want to say the word concussion. So I know it seems like making light and taking advantage of like a brutal injury to a player, but it, if, if it comes down to it was one or two individuals who made a mistake, that doesn't mean that we need to scrap it all and throw everyone out, out of the, onto the street. So that I, I just... I find it tough to engage in the public discourse of this sort of thing, because I think everybody, they see how violent the game is. And this is like a showcase of how bad it can be in football. And it puts everybody on their heels. Um, but I really think it doesn't, it doesn't seem right now, like lots and lots of people messed up and the processes and protocols are all bad. It could have been a smaller thing than that with a, just a bad result. All um, great discourse here. Tyler, did you have one more thing to add? Uh, just, to, I just wanted to add the, the comment about you, you, you heard someone make about them taking a couple steps back and then falling off a cliff. I, I can see that argument though, just because in, in the long run is really, so for the fan, they see right now. Okay. So two is concussed. That's, that's fine. He'll, he will get better. Thankfully he did not, you know, have any long-term effects of this concussion and he will, he will recover and be okay. But that's right now. And and the big thing is what's going to happen in 10 years. What's going to happen in 20 years. What can happen next week? Right. But and that's when it gets into beyond it gets beyond concussions and it gets into the whole talk about CTE and what that is and the long-term effects of this. So he had a severe neurological event happen to him. Like this, this is an event that could change like his brain as he, as he ages. So further down the line, when he's done playing football, that's when problems come. 
And that's why this is such a big deal. And that's why it's so crucial about player safety, because yes, right now you can get better and you can recover from the concussions. Yes. But when you're retired and you have a family and later on down the road, that's when it's going to affect the players. And that's when it matters. All great discourse. I uh, have enjoyed this conversation because I think that it, uh, was a productive one. I think that we touched on a lot of different angles towards what may have happened, who may be at fault. And while that's not necessarily the, the uh, point of this topic, that's of most concern that is to his health. That's what we're most concerned about and uh, player health moving forward. I do think that this was uh, a very productive conversation. Tyler, sh- thank you for sharing as much as you did about your experiences with this kind of stuff. I know that it's not necessarily always easy for anybody who's ever gone through some sort of trauma uh, to share it. So thank you for that. Um, with that, uh, we do move towards the tail end of the show, which of course does have some comedic tones to it. And while we have had a serious conversation here, we also want to acknowledge that this is kind of a, a lighthearted show. And so we are going to move forward towards our regularly scheduled programming uh, with also keeping the thought on the forefront of our mind that yes, we did have a serious conversation. No, we are not making light of it, but we are going to move forward to our, our, to our regular show. Um, so with that, let's move forward to blank you very much where Jack, you have been adamant about this topic. And uh, I, I share your adamacy uh, for this, this, uh, this first segment of blank you very much. Uh, we're going to stay with the NFL here. Uh, a team whose record is not representative of their quality of team is blank. Who in the NFL right now has a record that you don't think accurately represents who they are. Yeah, this is tough because I, I, we have a lot of like middling records and I kind of like the idea of evaluating this monthly or a, as far as the NFL season goes quarterly because I'm fine with week, that week to week change. It's not going to do a lot, but we've got four games. We've seen a lot out of some of these teams uh, and the team that I chose to go with for this week was the Cleveland Browns. Ooh. Uh, they are listed at two and two, which isn't anything super impressive one way or the other. Uh, but I think that their wins are very low quality and their losses are also pretty low quality. So they beat Carolina and they beat Pittsburgh. Uh, the Pittsburgh win was at home. That was the Thursday night. Uh, two weeks ago. Uh, and then they lost the jets and they just lost to the Falcons who were, I mean, running on fumes, they like they ran 17 run plays in a row or something crazy. Kyle Pitts isn't even being used in that offense. So (laughs) I think the Browns at two and two, it's very encouraging with the Deshaun Watson return that's supposed to take place in seven or eight weeks that they're getting some wins now to position for a playoff run. But I think it's misrepresentative of what the team is now. Nick Chubb has been phenomenal. Uh, any given week, at least one of their wide receivers seems to be present. But at no given week, do multiple wide receivers show up? Uh, Kareem Hunt has been fine, but we haven't seen the usage that we normally have. And they've also allowed 20 plus points to a lot of teams that I don't think are great. They had a meltdown against the New York Jets in two minutes. So the Browns are a team that even though they're two and two, which isn't great, I feel like they're way worse than middle of the pack team right now. I like the answer. I think Jacoby Brissett is somebody that's uh, playing himself into a nice uh, portion of his career. I think that he can certainly find himself in another good situation to possibly make starts. Um, Certainly have uh, a strong number two uh, title tacked onto him. I I like where the Browns are at given what their quarterback situation is. Uh, but at the same time too, Jake, you're right. Their losses have been low quality, right? Like falling apart against the jets is 
something you cannot do and they did and their schedule gets really hard their next set of games chargers patriots ravens Bengals, dolphins bills buccaneers yeah it doesn't get easier they could lose all of those games so two and two is great but we might be looking at two and nine yeah it's entirely possible uh tyler which team which team's record is not representative of who they are as a team i'm gonna go with the ravens i think they two and two they had a pretty convincing win over the jets who are okay um they also beat the Patriots, who are again not very good. But they're two. They had two very close wins over some pretty good opponents. They lost by four to the Dolphins in Week Two, and this past week they only lost by three to the Bills. So I think that you know the combination of defense that they have and the offensive production that they have. Uh, Lamar is a weapon he can throw he can run it and he's their leading rusher on offense which is an insane stat to think about um the other leading receivers uh mark andrews who's tight end so they they have a lot going for them i think that their diversity on offense and their you know methodology on defense is is a good combination and i can i think they're a better team than what they show that's a good answer. I like that. Especially the Dolphins loss was like a historic comeback. Uh, and they were missing half of their defensive starters. They're getting their starting running back and JK Dobbins back. I, I, I really like that answer. Yeah. Part of the, I think part of the reason they are where they are is because their uh, past defense has been monumentally bad, though they do have a gigantic outlier in the Dolphins game. Where again, we talked about two throwing for nearly 600 yards. Um, you know, that that's an outlier that's going to kind of draw them down towards the bottom of the league, at least for the time being. Uh, but I think, you know, that's, that's their biggest issue right now is their defense so much so that this past week, John Harbaugh wasn't even, uh, or Jim Harbaugh rather. Oh my God. I'm lost John. in the Harbaugh zone. Somebody help. <laughs> it's John. <laughs> I, I, I think this is kind of fun to watch. I want to see. <laughs> so much so that uh, John Harbaugh did not trust uh, his defense uh, stopping Josh Allen from going down and getting a touchdown. If his team were to kick a field goal on fourth and goal with what? 30 seconds remaining in a game. Uh, that defense isn't trusted right now by the staff. Uh, I, th- I, I like your selection, but I also can see where they are because of their defensive woes at the moment. So my answer for this question uh, was the Detroit Lions, who I find to be one of the most exciting teams in football right now. But similar to the Ravens, they have one of the single worst defenses in football. They actually have the worst defense in football. They're allowing 444 and a half yards per game. But why do I have them ranked uh, as a team that I think is not representative of their one and three record? because their offense is absolutely terrific. I love watching the offense there. They've scored more points than any team in football. They're averaging 35 points per game. The Lions, with Jared Goff at quarterback, are averaging 35 points per game. They're having a breakout season from Amon Ross St. Brown. They've got uh, a tremendous rushing game between Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. Uh, it, it really is fun to watch them. And, and while I say... I mock Jared Goff and saying, yes, that's their quarterback. He's also, I think, finding himself again in that he's not losing them games. He's always been a game manager and not a quarterback that's going to uh, come out and drop 
four or five touchdowns on somebody's head. And he's doing that again. He's 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 just simply coming out and winning games again. 61% completion, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions, over 1,100 yards. And he's only been sacked five times, which might be the biggest note right there. The Detroit Lions O-line is legit. Yeah, this is a night and day team. Their offense is so much fun to watch, even if they're not very efficient. They move super fast and they've got a lot of playmakers, but their defense is abysmal. And the fact that they they have three losses all by one score, but some of those aren't some of those, they blew it at the end. Some, they came back to make it look better. I wouldn't be willing to call this team good. And I don't think their record should be higher than it is, but I'll agree with you that that one in three does not tell you how fun this team is to watch. If they're on TV, that game is going to be exciting. Uh, The Lions Seahawks game just had 93 points on Sunday. So I, I mean, over a thousand yards of total offense. Yeah, with Geno Smith and Jared Goff. So, you know, that... And Rashad Penny. That'll do. I'll take that one. So, okay, that's uh, the creative answer. I like it. All right, so I think we all know who who came up with that one because I told everybody. Let's see if anybody can figure out who came up with this next prompt, which is the blank are my favorite to win the World Series. Well, Tyler, I can tell you came up with this prompt, so I think you should lead us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My favorite to win the World Series is going to be San Diego Padres. I just like the roster that they have. I think the Juan Soto trade was very interesting to to beef up their their offense and – I mean, he's a great defender, defensive player as well. Um, and I, th- I feel like in the past couple of years, they've become a more exciting team. Like, in, you know, when I was a kid, no one really cared about the Padres. And then like a couple of years ago, it's just like, oh, hey, the Padres are really good. And I think it had to do with Francisco Lindor uh, prior to him, his departure. Um, but, I, you know, just very – I think this is a good team moving forward. They certainly, they certainly are an interesting team, and they have the pitching to get there, right? So, I mean, you look at you, Darvish, who was the pitcher of the month in the the month of September. That's going to bode well for them going into the playoffs. Um, they have had some offensive woes, but they have guys that have been there and done that before. They've got Juan Soto, who's a World Series champion and one of the best hitters in baseball. High pressure moments do not matter to him. They have Manny Machado, who's been there with a couple of different teams. You know, they got they have guys all the way around who've been there before. Uh, I. I think missing Fernando Tatis is going to be a huge uh, looming point against that team uh, this year. And they, they do have kind of a, an interesting run to get there. Uh, I just put down the, is there, well, you mentioned Tatis. Is there any chance he comes back? I thought I saw that he just started rehabbing recently, but that no, Tatis is, is uh, suspended for 80 games. Oh, right. That's what it was. Use. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So not having him is going to be huge, but uh, San Diego is likely going to draw the New York Mets in round one. That's going to be an extremely tough matchup. Uh, I mean, if you're talking about the quality of the program, sure. But if you're talking about the uh, ups and downs that they can endure, the Mets could easily just take their own feet out from under them, as we saw just recently. That's very true. They were swept by the Braves to to pretty much lose uh, the NL East, which is been tightly contested down the stretch. Jack, who's your favorite to win the World Series this year? I'd like to see a return to the top for a team that was on a roll before everybody quit on them. And that was the back-to-back champions in the early 90s, the Toronto Blue Jays, 
who won two straight World Series, and then the league went on strike the next year. So it was unfair to the Blue Jays then, and we now have a team of fun players, guys that you've heard about for the last couple of years. You've got Flatty Jr., you've got Bo Bichette, they have Matt Chapman, who's a defensive stud. They've went and they got some players, and I think there's a little bit of intrigue too in the battle of is it going to be New York or is it going to be L.A.? It might not even be in this country. So uh, they're a good team. They come from a tough division. And I think that Toronto is the team that I'd like to see pull it off. It'd be cool with all the like children of former baseball players, sure. you know, to take it down. Um, and they, it feels like the last season or two, they, they should have been more in the running than maybe they ended up being. Well, and uh, you have to remember Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Last year was the uh, the preview. This year is the movie for the Blue Jays, uh, who are the fifth seed. Heading into right. the playoffs this year, uh, Toronto, the four seed, they're the, they're the top wild card team heading in. So uh, I like that as well. I think their biggest, their biggest gap on their roster is, is their, their bullpen. Um, they have some tremendous starters. They're having a breakout season from Alec Manoa, who was the the star of the all-star game, in my opinion. Um, and it's certainly possible. They're having a breakout season from Andrelejo Kirk as well. Shout out Mexico. Um, and, and their baseball factory that they've been having like the it's past big two guy or three seasons. Yeah, well, guy. I, lo- I love Mexican baseball players because they all come in at like five, six, and they all just have the most heart of anybody you've ever watched play a baseball game. Um, but to answer this question, answer this prompt, my World Series favorite right now is the Atlanta Braves. Oh, let's go. Okay. I was so ready for you to say some coin. I think the Dodgers are going to win. No, let's no, go Braves. No, I, I'm here for the Braves. I'm here for the first uh, back-to-back World Series winner since I, I think it was the, the Yankees in 99 and 2000. Um, I think they're hot at the right time. Their team OPS in September was 759, which is is pretty good. Uh, their pitching is really where it's at, though. Team ERA in the month of September of 288, a team whip of 1.05. Whip meaning walks and hits over the course of nine innings, uh, their, their team is allowing a one and a five percent of a human being on base during the month of September. Uh, 266 Ks for their staff to just 79 walks. They had a K rate of 10.3 as a staff in the month of September. They just absolutely overwhelmed people. I also have to say the back half of their bullpen is stacked set and ready to go. Kenley Jansen, Rysel Iglesias are two dudes who are absolute lockdown shutdown dudes. Month of September, 25 innings pitched between the two of them, eight saves, 19 hits allowed, 32 Ks, five walks, four earned runs between the the two-headed dragon at the end of the Braves bullpen. I also think that Kirby Yates has hero written all over him, a dude who has endured some elbow injuries and is now in a position where he came back just in time to be ready for the playoff roster this guy could come in and have some serious serious mojo to him the braves are my favorite to win the world series this year does if they win the world series does jesse chavez get a ring yes and that would be an awesome story too this guy is he four he's got to be close to 40 he if he's not he's like 38 39 yeah so many teams yeah oh that that would be a fun one too it would be a lot of fun Okay, this one, this next one, and the last one for Blank You Very Much this week. Uh, DK Metcalf was carted to the locker room uh, in the uh, Seattle-Detroit game. Everybody thought it was a serious injury. came out later that it was just because DK Metcalf had to take a shit that he was carted to the locker room. 
Um, and so I ask you, gentlemen, what is the most unreasonable thing that you do for the sake of convenience? Jack, I'm going to let you start. All right. I, ha- I was trying to think of a better one. I didn't like my answer because it's not as deep as I'd like it to be. But uh, I'm going to say the way I put on my shoes. And I think a lot of people maybe do this, but, you know, I've got regular running shoes, sneakers, whatever. And I, I make sure if my shoes are untied, I'm going to kneel down. I'm going to find a bench, whatever. I'll tie them. You know, shoe safety, very important. And keep track of the laces. But when I'm actually putting my shoes on, I just step right into them and then lift the like heel part back up even though tying my shoes would take me at this point in my life about five seconds like i i can do it in my sleep i can untie retry it's the same knot every time but there's something about the like all right i'm getting ready to head out and even if i'm not in a rush like i'll just jam my foot in and flick the back part up and be fine I, but, I do the same it's thing. Very relatable. Yeah. <laughs> but what I realized, I just got new shoes a few weeks ago, and for the first week, I always made sure. Even now, still, like I'm still in the honeymoon period with these new shoes, where I'm like, I'm gonna take care of them, I'm gonna make sure that everything's good. So I'll untie them, and then I'll retie them. I'll slip them off. But then when I'm putting them on, I do the untie, retie. Give it two weeks, the things are gonna be destroyed. I just got a new pair of shoes for for my birthday. I tied them to put them on my feet the first time. They haven't been tied since. Oh, like I, I at least give them a little bit of time. So I'll try and be better to shoes, but my uh, my track record would not indicate that'll actually happen. Okay, the the most unreasonable thing that I do for the sake of convenience, uh, it, it kind of fits the mold here, uh, but. It's that I, I don't have an eye pass. I don't have like a for, for those of you not in Illinois, I don't have a like a tollway pass in my car. Uh, I just simply don't pay them. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like going through all of the, going through the cash lane every time could not be considered for the sake of convenience. There is no cash lane. And people could say like, if you just get one, it would be more convenient. But for me, it's inconvenient to go somewhere and buy the pass and, and, and hook it up and all the, the the extra, whatever that comes with it. So I simply just don't do it. I probably owe the state of Illinois thousands of dollars in in late fees and such. But for, for right now we're riding, I've not yet got like a, a collector oh. collector's call or anything like that or that it's going to go on my uh uh go against my credit so for right now we're you know let it ride i'm just like that that kid who lost 74k let it ride baby you gotta be careful we, we've got a uh what well, we've got on the ballot this coming month we've got a new secretary of state right we're electing a new secretary of state so they, they could come find you they could I, hopefully they just wipe my record clean. New, new just, Secretary uh, of State, uh, <laughs> new me. <laughs> there's just a Manila file folder this big. <laughs> Every time oh, the camera shit. took a picture, Public Enemy Number One, right start to work. It's the hey. first thing they slap on on the person's desk when they're hired. <laughs> Maybe I could become a collection guy. agent. I would already know where to start. Maybe I could, you know, make a living that way. Watch it. Watch Watch it. (laughs) Simply don't pay them. Tyler, for the sake of convenience, what's your unreasonable thing? The most unreasonable thing that I do for the sake of convenience is I put tinfoil on baking sheets before I cook frozen food. Um, It doesn't take a lot of time to rinse off the sheet or I run my dishwasher every day. So it just goes in there. And my girlfriend, Nicole, has consistently told me that I have, I'm just wasting tinfoil. That's a hot take. 
I feel like it's a, a people yeah, do I, this, I don't think right? that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's a very common use of tinfoil. I think it's reasonable. I think it's more unreasonable to not use tinfoil. Well, I think you could also wash the things. <laughs> like the, the, these don't have to be mutually exclusive. You could do yeah. both. But I, no, I don't think that's crazy. But, I don't bake a lot either. Well, I'm just fryer. I don't use tinfoil in the air fryer either. I just let it drip, baby. That's a, that's Wait, should you thing. use tinfoil in the air fryer? I, I don't have an you air fryer. I'm not sure how it works. Can use I figured that it would be more like a microwave or something. You'd put tinfoil in the microwave? That's what I was concerned is because I thought an air fryer was more like a microwave. So I'm like, what do you mean you're putting tinfoil in it? But no, I guess I, like I, I don't extreme use Extreme convection, I think, is what it is. Oh, gotcha. But now that we're in the kitchen, I thought of another thing. I use the same glass. Like, I'll, I'll just go get a glass of water during the day. Mm-hmm. I'll use the same cup or glass for like four or five days in a row, even though there are definitely others I could use. Like, okay. Because then I just like, oh, cool. It's on the counter. Fill it up. Water. Boom. I like drink the whole glass of water in one sitting and then like go back when I need more. And so I guys, really could live with two cups. Do you guys do like the, the butter knife at the edge of the sink? Yes, huh? I, I do do the that. what the table what knife mean? or the butter knife at the edge of the sink where you just like I haven't used this enough. Like maybe you like cut off like a tablespoon of butter to fry up some eggs or something You're like I haven't used this knife enough. So I'm going to set it on the edge of the sink so that when I need a knife later, I'll use this what? knife. Yeah, I'll send you a picture I've next never time heard I do that. it. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. Like, oh, I, yeah. I, I probably leave utensils or like I'll reuse a plate throughout the day or something, but I don't have a zone that I'd put it in as like the at, at, edge of the sink. Yeah, edge of the sink. Right. Okay. If you use like a like a spatula real quick to scoop something up, I'll just throw it right back in the drawer. Just oh yeah, yep. put it in the drawer. I get that. I, I get just yep. putting it back. Sure. Let's move on to uh, to hang a banner and close out the show. Um, who wants to go first? I've got some uh, some videos to play. If we want to do that first, it's up to you guys. Mine's quick. I- I'll get mine out of the way first. Uh, as this has been kind of a long episode, also took a while for us to get going. In part, I was running a little bit late uh, today for recording. Uh, some car troubles in the house where I reside. And I was thinking about it as going through the process of, you know, if your car doesn't start and you don't have the means of jumping or whatever, like sometimes you got to call a motor club. And so call the motor club, they come out pretty quickly. And I thought to myself, you know, that actually is kind of cool. Like that's got to be one of the closer professions to real life superheroes. Not that they have like super heroic abilities, but in my mind, I'm picturing somebody who can just be doing whatever they want. And I'm sure this isn't their profession. They probably also work when they're not on call. Um, but the idea that you could just sit there and all of a sudden, you know, your equivalent of a bat phone rings and it's like somebody's stranded and needs your help. And these guys are like, I'll be there as quick as I can. Like, <laughs> I never thought about the parallel between actual superheroes and like triple A motor club sort of, you know, let me come give your car life. And then you drive away. There's a lot more in the analogy than I had thought. And uh, so I'm going to hang my banner for the closest thing that we might have to superheroes, which are uh, guys who come jumpstart your car who work for motor clubs. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Ro- rolling right into mine, it's a pretty good segue. Uh, mine is going to be the, I'm going to, uh, Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds coming Ooh. out with the announcement for Deadpool 3 that will have uh, Wolverine in it. Um, you know, I not the, just any Wolverine, the Wolverine, the, the original Wolverine, uh, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine and uh, Ryan Reynolds Deadpool in the same movie. Uh, I think 
it is a phenomenal thing. The, the, the two men are business partners as well. They have a lot of funny interactions through their businesses and ads and stuff like that. Um, they poke fun at each other. Ryan Reynolds is a pretty comedic guy, but to see these two interact in a movie, knowing how Hugh Jackman is as Wolverine and how Ryan Reynolds is in general, I think it's going to be the perfect combination and, it might it might be something very different in the superhero genre that we've been looking for 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 a while. Yeah, I, I have high expectations for this movie, though I don't want to um, uh, get them as high as I did for Thor: Love and Thunder. I had all the faith in the world that that was going to be an awesome movie, and I absolutely hated it. I don't have the faith in the world that this is going to be an awesome movie, though I am excited to see if Disney allows Deadpool to be Deadpool. I uh, I'm also excited. The Deadpool movies have been hilarious, and even if they take a little step down, like that's fine. They, they, you don't always have to be better than the last. Good enough's good enough for me. Uh, but I hope for the sake of, I think I've kind of gone against the grain now, and I want people who keep like predicting things and wanting things in superhero movies to just be wrong and then keep spending money to go see these movies. <laughs> I would love to see Hugh Jackman's role encompass in that movie about 30 seconds. Like if he just has a brief cameo, like that, that is now what I'm rooting for is everyone's like, Deadpool, Wolverine. Oh my gosh. And it's like, he's sort of, I want him to have the Brad Pitt role from Deadpool too, where it's like, yeah, Brad Pitt was in the movie. And it's like, Oh, he was invisible except when he was like getting electrocuted. Like give me just a little touch of Hugh Jackman and let everybody go cry about how it's not fair that they don't get what they want. That would be the epitome, I think, of a Deadpool movie. And then have Ryan Reynolds like break the fourth wall and be like, I bet you thought that he was going to be in the entire movie. Boom. Chef's kiss. Turns out he's not. It's my movie. And then and like have that be like a cold open to the movie. Amazing. That's all we need. I'd be I'd be satisfied. I'd be thrilled. Being that it's a Deadpool movie, I would be thrilled as well i'd be like all right that's exactly what it needs to be all right uh, i'll hang my banner and then we'll get out of here uh hats off and banners hung for the coverage of hurricane ian um of course we're not poking fun at any of the widespread damage that the storm did but we are poking fun at the fact that uh, media outlets are still making their uh storm coverage analysts do stuff like this like underneath the roofing maybe in the roof it just came flying by all right that's uh, a gentleman being <laughs> taken out by a tree uh, also this is the same guy uh in a more close-up clip he has not only a batting helmet on, but safety glasses. Uh, I, I just, we can cover the storm inside. <laughs> we need boots on the ground. All right, but get there. The boots can be on the ground inside. <laughs> I, I definitely am picturing, I, I don't know that I would do that necessarily, but there surely have been moments where, there's a pretty bad storm and I have found myself standing outside and been like, why is everybody going away? Like, it's just rain. Like I'm picturing this guy and they're like, you don't have to go. And he's like, why? It's just a little water. It doesn't hurt anyone. And he's like demanding a truck, follow him out. I choose to believe that this is his mission, but uh, for an offline chat, you know, you'd have to give like major subscription. We, I don't mean, we don't even do subscriptions. So you just can't hear it. But uh, for my co-hosts, I've, I've been in a situation like this and it was definitely a, a, a jarring and scary one. And uh, so I, I can relate a little. 
My pleas are coming as a Midwest man who, when a bad storm or tornado warning is about, I go to the porch to watch and make sure that I've got eyes on the storm. My, this is me. Th- that I'm that guy pleading to let the Weather Channel let this guy inside. There is a Category 4 hurricane making landfall, and they're just like, get outside, go get wet, make sure you got a little baggie for your battery pack on your microphone. Also, hang a banner for the microphones of these people. There's winds coming in at 170 miles per hour. And there, there's absolutely nothing to speak of in terms of, 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 of um, well, words. Here we go again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I'm having a CTE moment of uh, uh, overmodulation. That's the word. There's, there there's not a trace of overmodulation or anything on those microphones. I found it was absolutely uh, stunning. Um but yeah, let those guys inside, but also hang a hang a banner for them and uh, let it flap in the 170 mile an hour winds. Oh, that's a good point. There wasn't any sort of weird sound difficulties. So maybe we hang a banner for the CGI artists. Maybe we say, oh, wait a second. Why? How come all the audio is so clean? Your third oh, wait a second. <laughs> no, I, I really, I mean, I think, I think you're probably right on just about all of it, but I so badly need an interview with this guy in a month or so where he's like, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like they tried to pin me to the ground so I wouldn't go out and I like <laughs> drag the camera crew with me. I'm like, you're coming too. Oh, I, I need this guy to be some like weather diehard. <laughs> All right. Well, we have uh, I think we had a very good episode. I think we had a very uh, informative episode and I think we had a lot of fun this episode as well. But we're almost at two hours. Uh, I don't think I've ever done a podcast this long, but that's fine, gentlemen, because I did it with you guys and I had a ton of fun doing it. Make sure if you're still listening, you're still hanging around. Be sure to follow us on social media at Hanging Banners. You can subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. We prefer that. We also would love if you subscribe on whatever app you're listening to this on, whether it be Spotify or Apple Music. I'm Ryan Sartori. That's Jack Coachman. That's Tyler Witt. This is where you can follow us. And for right now, we're getting out of here. We will be back next week with another episode talking about football, talking about playoff baseball. Uh, One time for the one time, we're out of here. See you guys. (laughs) Okay, great. Thanks a lot for that look in sports, Brian. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll have one final look at weather. Stay tuned.